On this week's Bet the Process podcast, it's our first off-season podcast, which is exciting. We review the Super Bowl, which obviously people have probably forgotten about by now because it's been so long ago, but it's pretty interesting to hear about how it played out for Rufus and myself in terms of prop bets, etc. You can hear about one big prop bet that Rufus nailed. It was over 200 to 1, which is exciting. Then we dive into some Twitter topics specifically around the best way to run a sports book where innovation will come from um, in the sports betting industry. And then we delve into some of the guests that we might have on this season um, and off season and are always looking for more ideas from you. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action Network app. It's the best app for following sports betting um, and it's available for free on the iTunes store and the Google Play store. So download it today. And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The Welcome to the first off season episode of Bet the Process, where we're going to probably recap the Super Bowl and then jump into some Twitter topics and get ready for what hopefully is going to be a really fun off-season of podcasts. So Rufus, first off, where are you? Everyone always wants to know where you are. I, I'm in a closet in, in Boston. I, I just moved into a new apartment, just signed a lease on it with my girlfriend. I'm at one block. You guys are living together? Yeah. Big stuff. It is big stuff. I've been told by people that being in a closet with carpet and low ceilings will make the audio better. However, I left my mic in Vegas, so I'm using the, you know, iPhone headphones mic. So this audio is probably going to be pretty bad, but I feel like we're we're going to make it a big priority during our off season to improve our audio quality, right, Jeff? And our production quality. We're going to improve a lot just, of things. Just not this particular episode. <laughs> Just not, just not right now. Um, so you're literally in the closet. Good for you. Um, yeah. Maybe at some point you will step out of the closet, which I think will be a big moment for you. <laughs> well played, sir. Uh, Super Bowl review. Um, I saw you tweet that it was probably the best that you had ever done um, in the Super Bowl. What were some of the sort of big wins for you? So the biggest win, I think, was, was the Rams to score exactly three points at 250 to one odds. That was nice. They scored zero would have been even better, actually. And and the Patriots, if they had stayed at three, that would have been also pretty incredible. But, you know, given the fact that the final score was 13 to three, I thought we would have done better than we did. The problem was I did have some positions on Rams receivers to score. And I had a lot against interceptions, especially against Brady throwing interception. And I had positions on both Brady and Goff throwing touchdowns before interceptions. And I had a fumble before an interception, so that that wasn't good. But overall, I think it was a return of about 25%, which is which is quite good, and it's better than the most, way better than last year. Explain the logic of the 250 to one on exactly to score three points. Like what, where, what should that, what, what do you make that, and what should that have been? I think at the time I had it priced at like 192 to one based on what the total was then. So the logic is basically, I build a model for to, to predict every single potential score. And so it's kind of formulaic. It's based entirely on the team's projected score. So if the team is projected to score 27 points, you know, this is X likely. Um, obviously in this particular situation, a higher scoring game means it's gonna be less likely that a team scores exactly three points. But at the same time, um, there still exists that possibility, as we saw, however remote. And it's obviously you can't run any sort of continuous model because, you know, some numbers are way more likely than others. Even And so, um, you know, like four is always there's – there's always a price on four, Jeff. And I'm like, I don't think a team has ever scored four points in a game. Maybe one. But that, that, that's the, the harder one to the, model. What was the price on four? Probably like 5,000 to one. 
something like that. What would you uh, take? I think that's what would you take situations. the no? What would you take the no for? At? Honestly, I I don't know because I would have to eat up too much cash if I wanted to make anything, and it's hard to model. It, it's hard to model something like that without a, a real sim doing it, just because it happens so safeties happen so infrequently. But I feel like that's one of those bets where if you went and said I want ten dollars on this, they would probably say, you know, no because that's to win like what that would be to win fifty thousand. So let's say let's say you try to put a hundred dollar bet on it, you know, that's to win five hundred thousand or something. Um, they'd probably say no. And I, I've had a situation before where they rejected a bet and they said um, the the most we'll give you is to win like ten thousand dollars, and that turned out to be like a one dollar bet. They're like, well, that's actually below our minimum bet number, bet size. So they literally put out a number which they wouldn't accept a bet on at all. So they're like, I guess we have to take the minimum bet size. So what was the what was the uh, maximum bet that you could put on the two fifty to one on the Rams to score exactly three points? Uh, three hundred bucks. But you know, I, a buddy of mine actually later on turned out he was able to get five hundred at the same book. So there's not really a ton of consistency there. Were you able to Were you able to bet it multiple times? Were you able to bet no, it multiple no. times? No, I moved. Mm. And and I that can must guarantee have been kind you, of fun though. Yeah, I can guarantee you that next year we won't um, be getting a good price on the three. Just <laughs> and and there won't be a good price on like you know the prices won't be nearly as high on these alternative totals or these you know team not to score a touchdown because all it takes is one year where the books get killed on them and there's and they say okay well maybe we need to be a little more risk averse on this. That's kind of funny because it's almost like the books and you want nothing to happen, but they want the scoring to not be, they, they'd rather have the score be somewhere in like the forties than necessarily in the 16 range. Exactly. They want it to be like sort of normal score, but like nothing happened to get there. Maybe like just penalties, like a bunch of pass interference penalties. That'd be great for them. So no yards necessarily. Um, what about, what, what do you think about the price in the game? Because this was a sort of classic pros versus Joes, as they say, or everyone's on one side, the Vegas knows something kind of thing. I mean, all the smart analytics people were on the Rams plus the two and a half kind of sitting there hoping that it would go to three. Obviously the market moved this from you know, minus one or plus one rather to, you know, the, the, the Patriots to be favored. Why do you think that the market differed so much from the analytics in this case? Um, I mean, I guess there was the popular, well, the perception of the Patriots was that, you know, at that point, like, I mean, I, they were unstoppable or, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, the public was obviously high on the Patriots, but I think it was interesting that, that the books did not really go to three and that they were okay with taking lopsided action. And, and I think it was, it's a situation where, um, I, you know, I think it was the right move on their part to, to not move it to three, but, it, but I think in a vacuum, if, if each book was sort of, you know, didn't have these other books around, um, they would have loved to have gone to three. If, if, if a book had a guarantee that every other book would have gone to three, they would have gone to three, I think. But um, they did not end up balancing for it for, and what was the biggest, you know, one probably the biggest decision of the year for a lot of them, and especially the books in New Jersey, which took so much Patriots action. Because I don't know if you saw Jeff, but the books in New Jersey lost on the Super Bowl, and in Vegas, Vegas hasn't lost on the Super Bowl in more than 20 years, and I think they've only lost in one Super Bowl ever. And it was the kind of game where, based on the props, you would have thought the books would have made a fortune, but they just took so much action on on the Patriots. And I think in New Jersey, you've had all these sort of promotions, right? You had, I think books offering like plus one Oh five on both sides and things like that. So that's interesting. So basically, you know, you're saying you still really haven't given me an answer about why I always find it interesting when like, you know, like, because there, there is this notion, right. And like, if, if the, Rams had covered this would have been the classic thing where all the people would have been talking about how this line stunk and how you always want to be on the on the side with the books and on and on but but the Patriots won and right because it's probability right is it though I mean you you can't say whether the line was right or wrong based on the outcome of the game necessarily 
because you don't think of sample size. You don't think a sample size of one tells you whether it was right or not. I'm I'm messing with you. Well, I mean, I agree I, with you. I understand, but I but, also feel like the way that game played out, I don't think it was fluky, right? I do think like, and, and yes, things could have played much differently, but I I feel like the Patriots dominated that game. And I don't, I feel like if that game had been played, you know, a hundred times, the Patriots would have been the right side a majority of the time, even at two and a half or three. Right, right. Based on how the game played out though, Jeff, but you don't know how the game's going to play out beforehand. You don't know what, you don't know that Bill Belichick is going to devise a plan where he's going to basically be in zone coverage for first and second down. You don't know that the, Rams are going to run suboptimal formations generally against that. Defense well, I mean, but like, is that well. is that something that is that something that some people in the market were incorporating that the analytics couldn't, or was the market no. incorporating the fact that like Todd Gurley was maybe hurt and wasn't going to be, you know, a difference maker in that game? Um, you know, I, I guess Definitely what I'm saying maybe. is, what's that? I said maybe. I get what you're saying. And, but, but what I'm going to say is that this game is different. The Super Bowl is different than any other game in the football season. And the fact is, during the, like, for the Super Bowl, you have so much more public money, and not just public money, but, but money from people that don't bet all year, people that just want some action on the Super Bowl. And so there, there's no way the amount of sharp money is going to be able to make up for it. So you have a price that is largely driven by that public money. And so I think because I, I don't think it had anything to do with analytics or anything. It was just that the public was all over the Patriots and that's why the line was where it was. And the books knew that they would get hit by the sharps at three. And I think they were afraid of being middled and, and everybody else was, nobody else moved the three or not many books um, except the ones in new England. I heard you could have gotten the Patriots. Like and some people on Twitter post like Patriots plus four plus one Oh five and stuff like that. So by you the mean, way, if, you mean Rams plus four plus four. Rams, sorry, Rams plus four plus 105. If anybody has uh, access to any of those books, please let me know. Um, they, they seem delightful, especially, you know, as baseball season comes along and, and, you know, if they're booking Red Sox bets, that would be, that would be great. But, um, so how did, but yeah, how did you, my, yeah. So how did you end up handling the um, hedging situation or rather your overall portfolio? Because you had Patriots futures, right? I did. And you had Patriots futures at, I'm guessing, like from anywhere like around six to one average price, correct? Um, I think it was a little higher, maybe eight to one. Okay. So something like that. And then you had down. value you had value on the Rams at two and a half. And did. what did you what did your overall portfolio end up looking like when the when the Patriots win? Did you win did you net positive out on those two bets? It was about break even. I had I had enough I had Rams plus three minus one twenty and plus three minus one ten so the perf I would have won everything had the Patriots won by one or two if the Patriots had won by three I would have won um, it would have been a, a bigger net winner on that regard but but the amount that I won on the Rams to score exactly three outweighed that so I'm I'm glad they didn't score like a late touchdown or anything yeah that must have been a very odd uh, rooting session for you towards the end of that game when you were like kind of you know you kind of just wanted them to end with three i would assume at that point well that's i actually didn't remember that i had that as a bet so i, I didn't really <laughs> know what i was rooting for at the end i figured it out that's hilarious you didn't even remember that you bet that so you didn't even get to enjoy this idea that they were going to end with three points exactly and you had called that well it's not that i called it by any means it's just that the you know, it should have been like 192 to one, and I got 250 to one. So, did you? It was a good bet. Right. You then you're not listening to Doug Kazarian because Doug Kazarian bet or recommended no touchdown in the first half at I don't remember what it was like 100 to one or 200 to one or something like that, and he he did a victory lap about it. So, well, you're he, not he doing called that it was a, he called that the bet won, which is great. He called <laughs> that it was a good value. You know, the okay. thing is though. If you're giving out picks, you should be giving out picks that are like minus something where you're laying a big price because then you get to call, you get to say you were right so much more. We, I actually want to talk about this in a second because we can talk about this actually during Twitter topics. But I don't know if you saw like the the spanky tweet about 
how he doesn't like to take minus money bets, even if there's big edge and he'd rather take plus money bets when there's big edge. And I'd love to hear your point of view on that, but let's, let's, let's get back to that in a second. Um, in terms of the MVP, did you have any bets on the MVP? I did. I did. I had girly like 16 or 20 to one. And I had Dorsett at 250 to one. Interesting. So do you think that, uh, they, that Edelman was the right MVP? You know, I've heard the argument that someone on the Patriots defense should have gotten it, but I don't know who you single out there. Right. I think, I think you could make a case. So I, I'm kind of biased on this, but I, I told our friend Preston that I thought like Stefan Gilmore had good value to win the MVP before the Super Bowl. And the reason that I thought, you know, obviously I'm a Patriots fan. I watched that game and I, I kind of knew as that game was being played, I'm like, really Edelman's going to win. He's the choice, right? Because he had just great numbers and he, he looked pretty dominant in that first half. Like they couldn't gar- cover him. And, um, but it's hard, it's hard to see a world, you know, like a lot of his work was in the first half when they only scored three points. And it's hard to see a world where in a Super Bowl where 16 points are scored total, that an offensive player should be winning MVP. It seems like a defensive player should be winning MVP. And the best choice on the Patriots defense in my mind was Gilmore won because he, he made probably what was the most important play defensively. Um, and two, he was a part of a lot of really important sort of pass breakups and pass coverages. And he allowed them to play a certain type of defense um, where he was shadowing cooks and they were able to play zone, you know, pretty much the rest of the place. So he would have been my choice. Um, but obviously I was biased on that. Um, but I, you know, like, and, and again, like at the time when they gave it to Edelman, I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. But then after I had a couple of days to reflect on it, I kind of thought maybe Gilmore was the choice, and I was just curious to hear what you, what your thoughts were. Well, isn't the problem that the people that give out that award don't have a few days to reflect on it? Maybe no, I mean I don't. I, I don't know. I don't. Like, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's really a problem. I just think that generally, like often, they're they're going to always be biased towards offense, and you yeah. know, all all of those plays that Edelman made you know, made him have a sort of collective body of work that looked MVP worthy. You know, if Stefan Gilmore somehow gets one more interception, um, you know, he probably wins, right? Like there's just more, there's more of like a, even, even if like it was somewhat like, let's just say on the, like one of those long pass plays on third down that didn't complete. I think there was one play to, to, uh, to Reynolds that didn't complete and ended in a punt, if he picks that off and ends up, you know, like going down right there, it's probably almost the same as what would have happened to the next play with a punt. So from a consequence standpoint, it wasn't any more consequential, but yet that probably would have won him the MVP. You know what I mean? That's, it's it's just why this, the the MVP stuff is kind of silly at the core. I completely agree with you. And I think you're right. If Gilmore had like, if he had a pick six, he wins it. If he had, um, I don't know. I don't know how many tackles he had, but if he had a sack, like I mean, I think there's. I don't think he had that many tackles, so you know, like yeah, he just needed more stats. So yeah, it's a statistical thing. I mean, you know, Brady didn't have a good statistical game, um, and the guy that scored the one touchdown, Sony Michelle, um, actually he could have been another argument because he did. He had a touchdown and he had like ninety something six yards, maybe. Right. Yeah, but like at that point, nobody's talking about him. But then you're comparing apples to apples and like the the difference is on offense. <laughs> Edelman clearly had a better day from a statistical standpoint than Sony did. You know, he had more yards, he had more catches. And even though he didn't have a touchdown, Sony's touchdown was a two yard touchdown, right? Right. <laughs> okay. So Sony Michelle first to score. Um, did you have that did it? you end up betting that? Yeah, I had a little. I had more on him to be the first Patriots touchdown, which almost was a loser because there was no Patriots, almost no Patriots touchdown. But I, I did have some on that, not not a ton though. Yeah, so I I ended up having him to first to score and Patriots first to score touchdown because of you. So I was pretty happy with that. And when I was in Barcelona watching the game, I was thanking my friend Rufus for that wonderful thing. Now I wish that I had him 
last to score also to score last touchdown oh, also because that would have been pretty fun to win all those, those two together. Score. Really? Could I have? <laughs> no, but it it would have been a thing where you wouldn't have thought it would actually. You you would think it. If anything, it might actually be negatively correlated. Yeah, you wouldn't have think they would have been as strongly correlated yeah. as they ended up being. <laughs> exactly. Um, interesting. Okay, any other prop wins that that you want to talk about that were kind of fun? Yeah, I'm sure there are, but there's nothing that comes to mind, honestly. Yeah, I, I had the uh, no flea flicker prop bet. That was the one that I can't I... believe that was a bet. I can't <laughs> believe that they offered that. It, it, and from from what I've heard about the price, it was like the most fantastic bet ever. It was like it was like minus two hundred when we were recording our podcast, and then I think I saw it close at like minus three hundred. That I can't believe it didn't close higher. And honestly, I don't know how many flea flickers either team has run, but I feel like flea flickers happen is rarely a safeties. So you think it should have been like minus uh, minus a thousand. This is, I mean, this is just me talking without the benefit of any numbers or having looked at it, but it, it feels that way to me. The Patriots run a decent amount of flea flickers. I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, yeah. I mean, I obviously I think that that was a good bet. Right. Um, yeah, I had, some, I had some Gerald Everett in my portfolio, which didn't work out so well. No, it didn't. I, I, and I, I, I had a lot of like, I mean, a lot of these like, um, I think I had him first reception over or longest reception over which and i i had like a i also had a chris hogan i had chris hogan under for for receptions but i had him over um for longest reception and was it, and was that it, like was his over under a, a half on receptions you know it could have been it didn't matter but yeah i laid i laid like minus 120 minus 130 on, on under three and a half but but the problem was he didn't, he didn't get a catch so so those long receptions, it like at the Westgate, that was a the the underwind there. But but at South Point, it's actually no action if there's no reception. So every year I have different prices for each of those because in some cases it can make a big difference, especially when you have guys that are projected to only get like a catch and a half or something. And Hogan wasn't one of those, but still, like with three projected catches, there still is a pretty big difference. Right. Uh, okay, um, let's move on. So Super Bowl was good. I think we we're all happy. Um, I, I we ended up having a a bet on the Patriots in the second half, which was interesting. So what price? We did, we did well. We we got them basically. It was like even. It was even. Okay. I think it was even, even minus a little money, and then minus a half plus some money. I think that those were the two okay. prices we got them at. Interesting. It was it was three nothing at the half, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I ran it um, and didn't really show much. I don't remember what what the number was though. I think it was like tw- total was twenty eight or tw- twenty eight, right? The total was twenty eight. Yeah, in the second half. Yeah. So, uh, but we we had a pretty big position on the Patriots, anyways, at that point, and I had hedged a little bit with the Rams just because of the numbers. So I was like, yeah, I'll put some more Patriots on. So it was it was a entertaining second half uh okay so uh, how did your portfolio jeff before we move on how did your portfolio end up for the super bowl overall it was good i mean i don't i don't bet very many props so it was basically just patriots futures patriots second half um and um the sody michelle first to score the no flea flicker i had some gerald everett that i lost i had some todd Gurley first to score rams first to score which I think was, is that a no action? Does that get pushed if the Rams don't score a touchdown? Do you know? Oh, do you mean Rams late first, first touchdown? First, oh, yeah. first Ram to score a touchdown? I, yeah. I believe that's actually a loss. At least it depends on the book, but if the book's in Vegas, they had no touchdown as an available option. Yeah, I didn't even really check. And then, and then um, yeah, and, and, that, and then I had, like I said, I, I'd bet a little back on the Rams. Um, but just enough to like basically cover all my futures bets, so that if I didn't, if the Patriots didn't win, I would just break even. So, well, it sounds like you returned over a hundred percent based on based on hitting those big. Uh, I did. I did odds. return. I did return over a hundred percent for sure. So you're the. Big but I didn't. I didn't bet that much. Like it's not like it was like a huge amount. So, but yeah, I did return. Can I over bet 100%. all my money with you. 
if I can get myself into a position where I have a team that's favored in the Super Bowl at anywhere from you know plus six hundred around average price plus six hundred, yeah, I think I'll I'll think I'll end up in a pretty good position. Yeah, well, sign me up for that. Okay. All right, so uh, let's move on to Twitter topics. Um, Matthew Trenhell, who is the inside betting guy who does a podcast, which everyone says is is very good and informative, um, criticized your appearance. And I'm assuming this is your appearance on Jake Williams's podcast. No, I, I like, haven't. That hasn't come out yet. I think it was the Gambling with an Edge podcast. Oh, okay. With Richard Munchkin and Bob Dancer. By the Boy, way, you Richard are Munchkin, just a media darling ever. these days. Hey, man, I'm not... I'm, I'm trying to learn from the best. So he he made a point about your statement that, you know, more books should be like Pinnacle. And it was almost like this very, you know, I, I think he like almost scoffed at us because we're Americans and we don't really understand how real betting works. And this idea that, you know, like that, that more books should be like Pinnacle. And, but it is an interesting thing because I think that, that you and I do just assume that you could run a book um, more efficiently, and and if you follow any of like Spanky's tweets about like how crappy the bookmakers are that are coming over here, you know, how do we know or or what like what evidence do we have that that you know the best way to run a sports book isn't the way that these guys are running it with like these recreational and and you know like what what's your take on all this or your rebuttal to sort of that whole line of tweeting that he, that they had where they were basically calling you a buffoon for, for thinking this way? Well, I think people like Spanky and I are, of course, biased because we, we want books to, to use that pinnacle model because it's, it's best for us. But I'm not arguing that's the easiest way to run a book. It's, it's much harder. There isn't really a turnkey solution to it. You have to work harder, but it, it captures a different market. And I think you have a lot of people compete, competing to be for this William Hill model, which you know, it's quite profitable and you don't really need to actually put a lot into, you know, you don't need to invest a lot in analytics or the trading side of it. You just basically need to like copy somebody and go from there. Right. Um, and, and they're just trying to take as much action as they can from recreational gamblers and as little as possible, which generally means no action at all from sharps. Um, but I, you know, part, part of it's kind of a crusade on my part, just because I think it's, I think booking like the pinnacle model is more of the quote, like air quote, right way to do it in my view. And, you know, maybe if I had a chance, maybe I'd crash and burn, who knows? But I, I still think, um, I think it's more ethical. I think, and I think it can be successful, especially if there aren't other books doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if everybody, if everybody who tried that model, I don't think it would be as successful, but I mean, also look at Nevada. Nevada is, so Nevada is different than than the UK in general. That in the UK they basically won't take any sharp action, and in Nevada they like a place like the Westgate and South Point, and most books there will take sharp action, um, and they and they will move lines based on that, and and they'll take posted limits. They won't, you know, they they won't take the same from me that they would take from somebody else necessarily, but at the same time they'll still take my action, and I think it's kind of it's, I I think in America we kind of, I mean, I don't know, this is just an opinion, but, but we kind of view it as sort of like you have a right or you should have this right to bet, even if you're, you're a good better. And to me, it feels like if, if you cut off somebody, cut off a good better, it, it feels kind of like un-American to me. Like, like this, sports books and casinos sell you on this dream that, that, that you can win. You can be one of these people that wins. And if you work hard and they're actually good at this and end up like being somebody that wins, then they say, oh, no, we we don't want your action anymore, which it, it, it feels like the most un-American thing ever. And, and I, don't, I don't know. What's your opinion on it, Jeff? Well, I used to always talk about this when it pertained because it's a direct parallel to the blackjack stuff, right? It really like is. When, when, we were, when we were counting cards, like we could win and they would basically, they had the right and it was, it was, so for me, I guess it's almost like this fate of, of complete or whatever that, that I know that eventually the, the, the jig or is going to be up um, and you're not going to be able to just make money or print money um, in the world of, of, of blackjack. Um, they basically have the right to, especially in Nevada, they have the right to refuse service to you 
um, if they think you're what they call an advantage player and they can just, there, there's no, you know, so I, I just have grown to know, accept that this is kind of the case that this is now what I, what I didn't really like about Matthew's sort of attitude about this. And, and I don't know if it was necessarily, I, I think there are like innovations that hopefully will come out of the United States having betting legalized. And those innovations may not be in someone running a pinnacle type book, but they may be in the types of products that are offered, um, the types of, you know, like the, the, the way that sports betting is done um, and the type of like instruments like that are out there, et cetera. And, you know, I know of a few people from Silicon Valley that have worked at companies like Zynga and those types of like gaming companies that are going to attack this market and that are working on getting skins and things like that to go attack this market, to look at this world differently. And so I do think like, you know, there's one thing you can say about the U S like we are very innovative, like a lot of innovations come out of here. And I do think we are going to innovate in this world if given the opportunity. Now, I think a lot of the problem is that we may not get that opportunity for a while because of how regulated and how poorly regulated this is going to be and how hard it's going to be to sort of get access to a skin or get access to, you know, to, to the right kind of distribution that it would take to make one of these things successful. But I do think that it will evolve in the U S I don't know how long it's going to take, but I will guess it will evolve in ways that it never would have evolved if it had just stayed in Europe. I agree. I agree with you there. And can I make one point though, further back um, with the comparison of blackjack, I, I think one big, thing to differentiate is that blackjack is basically a closed system and there's a set of rules and you know the way the game is set up those rules allow somebody to basically game the system and card count and have an advantage right whereas sports betting there is a way to use the information from an advantage player an advantage better to your advantage or to a house's advantage they can they can essentially it, it's not a closed system so I think there is. Well, no, that I mean, I think of... I think even to your point, Rufus Moore, is that the bookmakers have the opportunity to basically change the rules of the game based on additional information in that system being open, whereas yeah. they can't do that in blackjack. So I do think that's a fair sort of rebuttal to why maybe they should be a little bit more inventive than just banning people like they do in blackjack. In blackjack, it's like in some respects they have no choice because. Um, I mean, they do actually change the rules of blackjack in many ways, right? They've done that. They've, they've created automatic shufflers uh, or continuous shufflers, rather. They've done things like only pay blackjack, you know, um, off at even money or, or, or at, at what, six to five is what they do some places. They've changed rules so like surrender and things like that aren't available. Um, and we can talk about this more. Like Rufus really wants to do this podcast where he actually interviews me. And we may be doing that next week. And we can talk about that more um, on that podcast. So maybe this is a teaser to that. Um, anything more to say but, on this, this, this penny stuff? Yeah. I, I think the other thing is, especially if you have a book where it's sort of operating as a, like being able to trade itself as well, like be able to get down on an exchange or something, which I think is something that eventually will be the case. You know, taking sharp action is actually a good thing. You can, because you, you can basically you have you can have information if you're the only book that takes that sharp action you have information that nobody else has and you can go and trade that yourself in in a number of different ways and it, and it, you know disguise it and actually bet with it so I think it's it's insanely valuable yeah I mean we've we've talked about this that this is this whole idea that we'd love to be like this central trading entity one day um and you know prop trade out of a book basically um and we you know we have friends that have worked in the bookmaking industry that um don't think we're crazy for thinking this way so you know again like take for what it's worth um we may be dumb americans but we have some good decent ideas from time to time uh you want to talk about your dumb ideas <laughs> yeah probably mostly dumb ideas you want to talk about your new favorite television show on showtime Oh, is it called Action? <laughs> I think it is called Action. Starring Cleveland Dave. I love how much you hate Vegas Dave. It's like, it's of all the people in the world to hate as much as you do, 
it's crazy to me that you hate him that much. I mean, he's so easy to hate, though. Yeah. It's, it's the low-hanging fruit of people to hate. He's so harmless to me, though. And I guess maybe he isn't harmless because he swindled people out of lots of money. Um, and he still... And he still continues to sort of like be in the limelight. And the fact that you and I are even talking about him probably is, is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe we don't even need to talk about this show. It seems like it's, uh, are you going to watch it? That's a good question. Do I, if I have to pay, I won't. Honestly, Do you not have showtime? I don't know. I, I haven't set up cable and internet in my place yet. I'm trying to figure out which option I want to go with. I don't have a bed yet, Jeff. So right now I'm staying at my girlfriend's because, like, she Wait, but she's moving in with you, right? Yes, but her her lease on her place, current place, goes until May. So she's gonna kind of slowly move in. Whereas that sounds like here. a sounds like someone might be hedging their bets a little bit. Wait, her or me? I think her. I think she's uh, like, let me see. Maybe I'll renew my lease because. You know, I don't know if well, this I don't know if this Rufus thing is good value as a good value bet or not. I mean maybe maybe she's also saying I don't want to pay like double rent. No, oh, maybe she's saying that. But her 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 but her uh, share of the rent would be less than mine anyway. So And her boyfriend just won, you know, three hundred and thirty some thousand dollars in the World Series of whatever and just had the best Super Bowl he's ever had and is about to enter into the the highlight of his year, the golf season, so I don't know. Yeah, it was a it was a really good January for golf betting too. So there you go. It's been a good start to the year. Perfect. Uh, do we want to talk at all about some of the guests that we want on? Um, you got into something with these guys about having Spanky on, which I thought was kind of interesting. Spanky's a pretty I controversial mean, guy. I mean, I think in general on 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 Twitter, there are people that people don't like, and there are people that people like. And I think Spanky is one of the ones that's pretty controversial. Where some people yeah. really like him and some people think he's like kind of uh, full of hot air. Well, I think a lot of people question his motivations to be on Twitter right now, given that he wasn't for so long and, and you know, he's calling out all these bookmakers. So I think there's, uh, I think some people think he's going to go tout. I personally don't believe that, but you know, we'll see what happens. Right. Um, I think, I think he's, um, you know, well, the reason I that think... Seth, the reason that Seth and the the Seville guys kind of got on him is just that I think there were two statements that he made that I think that people really just didn't agree with and thought like, hey, this is bad information. And one was the whole idea of like whether people should bet Kelly, and it showed that like he didn't really have a full knowledge of what of how to employ Kelly in the most classic sort of way that everyone always talks about how to employ Kelly. It's the you know, like the horse racing one where you know all the odds and you basically can bet on all of them um, the right amounts to guarantee a victory, which is like the classic Kelly illustration. Um, and then the other was just that statement that he made about, you know, not wanting to bet on things that even when he had value, if they were, you know, minus 500 or minus 600. And both of those cool. seemed like sort of silly statements to me personally. I think so. But I think that we can remember that people can you know, everybody has blind spots and just because, you know, you maybe don't understand or misspeak about something doesn't mean that you're necessarily bad at what you're doing overall. Right. And I think, uh, I mean, personally, I agree that I don't like laying those big prices. Just, you know, if you I had do to do it, you do it, you do it. I do it. I do it. I do it. But it's, it's just, but I'm talking about mental health wise. It, it doesn't feel as comfortable, but um, and I generally, yeah, but like, I mean, the like, golf, the classic... like on bet there, I, I could lay like, you know, bet against, you know, some of these guys to win a golf tournament laying like minus 1500 or yeah, hell I could lay one to like a hundred odds on, on betting against someone to win. But, but it's like, but I, I think the one thing he isn't, one thing he wasn't considering overall is that when you're able to, you know, there are limits on things and, and the limit, you know, the edge on betting like a no safety or something like that isn't that much per dollar bet, but per unit, per, per the limit, like it's higher, right? So if, if I can bet minus 700 on a safety, I'm able, you know, I'm able to get down $7,000 rather than betting one, if something else has $1,000 limit um, on some smaller, some, some equivalent edge um, that's like plus 300, I'm only getting a thousand down, right? So I think that's one thing he was missing there, but. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, 
there's a flip side to this too, right? Which is that when when you bet on these big favorites, you're going to win more often than not, correct? Yeah. Like not necessarily like money-wise, but you're just going to win more often than not. When you bet these long shots, you're going to lose more often than not. Right? And there True. is this, when- there is this peace of mind, you know, when you bet on a favorite. Like when when we show value on a favorite or when you know, often it's very it feels good to do that to like have a you know much greater chance to actually win your bet so i guess what i'm saying is like there's there's a flip side to this sort of mental cognitive dissonance around laying large odds um that you know i I just i just think that a real that like real sharp sports bettors and sharp advantage players are looking for edge wherever they can and they're not like thinking about this idea i mean that's this idea of you know the the long shots versus the laying a lot of money, that's where money management and your bankroll really should come in so that you're kind of dispassionately thinking about which of these you, you win or lose based on sort of like how, you know, like bank effective bankroll management. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think that there are people that like, I don't think you can say someone isn't an advantage player just because they have a particular opinion about something. I mean, there's people that, really only like betting underdogs or betting unders on props and stuff. And they can find, I mean, I think they're throwing away potential. I think they're throwing away money by not betting on some of these other things, but you know, to each their own. And maybe, but I also, I also feel like, and this goes actually to some, another argument or pissing war that was happening on Twitter with uh, professor shine, where this guy kept yelling at him to like show his record or talk about his record and all this kind of stuff. And um, you know, at the core the way that I end up judging people on Twitter or judging people that talk about this stuff has nothing to do with their record or anything. It has to do with like how they think. And oftentimes like when I hear people that think in a way that I don't necessarily agree with, that's where I start becoming very skeptical regardless or irregardless of their records or whatnot. So that that's really maybe like the criticism that I've, that I've had in my mind about, about Spanky is like, I'm not always like, in line with how he's thinking about things. Whereas like often, you know, with Seth uh, Byrne, one of the reasons that I respect him so much, and you can say that he's very negative and he, and he tears people down and all this kind of stuff, but he's often right about how he's thinking about things. And I really enjoy the way he thinks about things or his framework of how he thinks about things. I agree with you on that. And I think most of Spanky's tweets are not about how he thinks about things. They're about, he's, he's trying to shed light I think he's shining, shedding a lot of light on bookmaking practices, which I, and I think there's a lot of value to that personally. I think it's something that needs to be getting more attention than it is. So, yeah, I guess I just don't so, think it's going to change this way, right? It's going to change when like more innovative people come into the industry. We're not going to change the way William Hill does business, right? No, and actually, I'm going to be I'm going to be moderating a panel at Sloan, and the CMO of William Hill is going to be on that panel, so. I will be able to ask them, ask him or her specific questions about the way that they do business. Um, so it'll be interesting. Are you going to solicit opinions on questions to ask on Twitter? Yeah, I will. I, I, I think I'm going to have to be a little bit careful to not be my normal asshole self um, on this panel. And, and, but I, I do want to ask you know, challenging questions, hopefully, and, and give them an opportunity to talk about things that are, are real and of substance. Do you think Steve is going to call you out for moderating this panel, but which basically implicitly, do you think they'll say it implicitly endorses their practices or, or if you let something, I think if I do a crappy job, Steve will call me out as they should. Right? Like, I think it's my job to go in there and to get some interesting content out of this panel. Like, you know, that's always the way I'm going to try to approach these things. Yeah. I feel like uh, Jeff. I feel like I'm 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 disliked by I'm I'm disliked by Seville and by the people that dislike Seville on Twitter. Or or I don't say disliked, but I'm like I don't say, I'm not. I don't think you're disliked like you're kind of by Seville. I I don't think you're disliked by Seville. I think I think Seville. I'm called uh, out. I, well, but I think you have some. We've we've talked about this. I think you have some questionable judgment on these things. Like I don't, you know, like going back to this idea of like who we have on as guests, like. 
I think that some of the, you know, ideas of like arguing who we will have on as guests, like Seville would find certain people that, that you would want to have on is not necessarily, and I probably lean more towards the Seville side in terms of those people. Well, well, but you, I mean, I, I, I disagree a little bit because I think, you know, I mean, we both like Preston, but he's a tout and we had him on and that was, that was more you, wasn't it? Oh, I love, I mean, I a hundred percent would love to have Preston on. I think he, I enjoy the way he thinks about things and you know, I, like I, I don't like, yes, he has touted and he, you know, you could call him a tout for sure. And, um, but like he, you know, again, like my defense of him comes from the fact that like, I really believe he is an advantage player and I really believe his content is valuable in, in how he talks about games. So there's good content there, right? The fact that he has sold picks, the fact that he has sold picks in the past certainly makes him, you know, uh, uh, puts him in a certain bucket. But to me, like the value there, there was value to the content that he provided. And I, you know, do I wish that he would never sell another pick probably, but again, like the content that he's providing is valuable. There's very few touts that I would say that their content is valuable. Steph, I'm, I'm not arguing that point one bit. I'm, I'm like, I, I completely agree with you on that. I'm, I'm just saying that if we take a black and white, like this person is because this person sells picks, you know, they're, uh, you know, we can't have them on approach then. But that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is more, I appreciate the way he think. I, I'll, I'd have anyone on to a certain degree as long as we think they have interesting content to provide, right? So, Yes. So getting back to the, like the types of guests we want, I guess the question is, do we want to have guests that are controversial that where like we might not, we, where we might not want to actually give them a platform to sell whatever they're peddling, but at the same time, we want to be able to ask them, you know, questions that kind of, let's put it this way. We don't want to be easy interviews. We, we can ask them probing questions and really facilitate a good discussion. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that like I definitely like fundamentally believe in the idea of like having tough interviews and questions with people, but I, I don't, I think one of the things is like, it's not that well received by this industry, sadly. And like, you know, like we, we tried early on to talk critically of people and, you know, to give them an opportunity to come on and talk with us about it. And, you know, all that happened is like, people just got really mad at us and hated us for it. Right. So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, like we could, we could certainly have a lot more listeners to this podcast if we brought on touts and we went on to touts podcasts and we, you know what I mean? If we just played the game that is the sports gambling, like circle jerk, almost like the sports gambling media circle jerk, we could certainly do that. And, and, but, but I would never want to do it. So the question becomes like, how do we continue to get people on that may or may not be like, that may be somewhat controversial without completely alienating the industry. Well, I mean, my problem, Jeff, with the whole circle jerk is that if we go clockwise, I'm screwed because I'm, I'm, I'm (laughs) right-handed. It's, it is a tough, it's a tough question though. Like and one that I think that you and I think about a lot because we, we certainly know a lot of people in this industry and could go, much more mainstream with this podcast and could, you know, go, I wouldn't say go tout. I don't think either of us would ever do that, but certainly could play more within the rules of the current industry. And I guess both of you, both you and I are just hoping that at some point there is an opportunity within this industry that allows for a more intelligent type of, of conversation around sports betting. And that's what we try to provide. It's certainly like a niche right now, but, um, I definitely think like it's something that as we go forward this off season that we have to try to continue to explore what that means. I agree. I think, I think you and I have both turned down. I think we both could have made, well, we both turned down some big offers because they weren't aligned with our principles. And so that's something we're trying to. Well, we, well, the thing right. about us too, though, is we have the luxury of doing that, right? Because we've yes. we've had success out outside of the media business, and the media business is just sort of a a hobby for us, right? Like the 
the notion that like some of these other people that's this is their job and their livelihood and that's that's why they have to do what they do um that's sort of the difference right and i think that was like what what the problem that you got into with marco d'angelo was that in his mind you were questioning his livelihood his job and almost like his reason for being by saying you know by questioning him um whereas like if someone questions us and our obedient, uh, which people do all the time and our ability to do media. It's like, well, this isn't our full-time jobs. This is just something we do because we enjoy doing it. And we think there's, you know, seven people out there that enjoy listening to us. And I think people should know that we don't make a dime off of this podcast. We get no, zero no. revenue from it. Just, so, just, just, so, yeah. It's a zero, it's a game. zero sum game because at the action network or sports action pays for the production costs. And then, we do the rest out of the goodness of our hearts, which we have very deep hearts. So, um, all right, I think that's I think that's a wrap for today. What do you think? That was a, a pretty good exploration of a bunch are, of. Different are, are we going to cover? Uh, you're right. I think it's a good place to end. We're not going to cover the last topic on our on the list. No, we can talk about that on the next one. I probably need to do a little bit more research on that before we cover that, and then maybe we, so maybe too. we let maybe we let this maybe we let it play out a little bit too, before we so, before we cover it. Jeff, that would be, I know nobody knows what we're referring to, but that would be a good example of, of someone that we could have on and give an interview and let them explain themselves. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think that could be pretty controversial. Yeah. If any of you guys listening to this want to guess who it is, maybe that'll be our contest in this very esoteric way we're talking about things. It's, uh, I feel like there's a lot to dive into there, though, and, and to try to figure out exactly what's going on. Yeah, maybe we should do some investigative, investigative journalism. Exactly. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to do a podcast. I think Rufus may interview me. So that might be the definitive Jeff Ma interview, which um, feel free to skip that if you want. So uh, just make sure you yes. <laughs> wanted to make sure well, you, no, made, you skip, skip that. Well, okay. Don't Anyways, thanks. We also we also have an exciting guest that I've lined up for some point during this offseason, Michael Collins, ESPN's quote caddy. He's host of the Maddie and the Caddy podcast and, and um, a, yeah, he was a former caddy. He does all this awesome ESPN coverage. And I feel like that will be really interesting given all the stories of gambling on tour and, and talking a little bit about how golfers are using analytics. So. And we're going to do uh we're going to do a bet the process dinner at Sloan that Saturday night. Um, so maybe, maybe we'll like one lucky listener might be invited to come to that dinner. We'll see. Or unlucky, depending or unlucky, on what as the case may be. Uh, anyways, okay, thanks guys, and we'll talk to you next time. The breakdown of data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down, it seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to engines running off a of leaded. None of it's organic.